welcome to the first and beta episode of Football America. And uh, this is Greg James of from the 55-Yard Line podcast and also Gridiron Japan podcast. And uh, I'm sitting here today, I am in Japan, and I'm sitting here today with Aaron Harris of the Football Odyssey podcast. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. Congratulations on the new show, and thank you for choosing me as your inaugural guest. I, you know, you were my first choice. That's, you know, I mean, when it comes to talking about, you know, it's one thing to talk about the games themselves and the X's and O's, but there's so much more to football and really more than more, much more to football and more to sports than just what happens on the field. And that's what I kind of wanted this show to be about, to talk about kind of the outside forces that affect the games that we watch, that we love, whether it be basketball, baseball, obviously football, soccer, and even hockey. So, um, but when it comes to, you know, this, this show, it's about football, um, but we'll incorporate other elements of other sports in there as, as we go along in the conversation, obviously. And um, yeah, so we are, uh, this is the first episode and we're going to sit down and the Super Bowl just ended yesterday. And what, you know, I mean, it was, it was a great game, but there was so much to it beforehand. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there as I'm watching the, the pregame hype and the inner 14 year old, inner 12 year old in me goes, man, it was so much different back in the seventies. So, um, yeah. So yeah, let's talk about the Super Bowl. Let's talk about yesterday. What, what, what are your thoughts? What, uh, Obviously, it was a good game, but did you watch all the Super Game, uh, Super Bowl hype before all that? I did not watch a single minute, and I'm actually proud to say it at this point because it's become <laughs> a little, uh, it's just overkill. And frankly, I was actually down in South Florida, and I was driving back up, so I was getting the car for about two and a half to three hours commuting, so I wouldn't have had a chance to watch it anyway, but... Uh, by the time I got back to my apartment, now I didn't feel the need to watch any pregame. I turned it on at 6.30, and then 10 minutes later, they kicked off. Um, I used to really enjoy the the pregame aspect of it, but now it just seems that there's far too much coverage leading up to it, and there's only so many topics that you can dive into, so many feature stories you can tell. And frankly, even throughout the week, I didn't really listen to too many podcasts or radio shows previewing the game because after you know the first week, what more can you really say? You, yeah, just you just basically get a lot of people that are getting on there to, you know, promote their sponsors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I um, being over here in Japan, I'm kind of insulated from at least the live stuff. I don't have mm. I don't have cable anymore. I don't have I mean, I don't have satellite. You know, I can pick and choose what I want. So mm. when it comes to how much I get over here, I can be very selective. So for me, you know, my day usually starts off. um turning on um, Dan Patrick, mm-hmm. the podcast, yeah. and then Rich Eisen, and then I'm done. And so I only really, my, uh, you know, it's basically I have a little bit of an echo chamber, I guess, but, but yeah, it goes to what you said. I mean, it, you know, everybody, at least on those shows was just everybody, every player, um, what's his name from um, um, quarterback for Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence. He was on there promoting a product. And so everybody was promoting something. Um, but what I was missing was what I was hoping for was, you know, say somebody from NFL films, somebody mm. to talk more about the history. Um, you know, Greg Cosell would have been a 
perfect guest for mm-hmm. the week at the Super Bowl. And he's been on before, but to talk not only about NFL films, but also his uncle too. I always, anytime Greg Cosell goes on a show, I'm like, oh, there's going to be Howard Cosell talk at some point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I watched about two hours of it because in Japan, Super Bowl came on at 8.30 in the morning Monday. So I made sure I got up at 6.30 in the morning, turned on, uh, that was about the time with the NFL International Game Pass. Mm-hmm. That's when the coverage starts. So I watched that, and believe me, you missed absolutely nothing. There wasn't even a retrospective of about, you know, there was a Pat Tillman thing that they always cram in right. when there's a Super Bowl down in Arizona. And also, too, the veteran in me, I still get very pissed off when the, with the NFL and their salute to service crap. Because I, I know it's, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people there are genuine with, with their feelings and want to honor, but it's become so commercial that it, it's lost on me. At least I, I missed the USAA commercials with Gronk. I didn't see any of those this year. Yeah, the commercials this year, in my opinion, were uh, really not anything noteworthy. The only one that I really enjoyed was the bush light commercial where they were mimicking those um abused animal shelters commercials and you had like the werewolf the bear i don't know if you yeah, that, yeah. One. That, I, that, that to me was a humorous one but aside from that there was nothing that i noticed that was really stuck out to me uh what stuck out to me was and i didn't I, I didn't i didn't pay attention i guess maybe did i yeah i mean it just like you said it was so unmemorable i'm like okay i don't really remember the ones that really got me that I watched and I walked away going, really, what the hell is going on? Are they were the Caddyshack ones? Mm-hmm. They tried to parrot. They tried to. It was a parody of Caddyshack, and that just fell absolutely flat. It, it did feel like a lot of these commercials were like targeting, uh, you know, people who were teenagers twenty or thirty years ago. Yeah, you know, it's like you had a new Indiana Jones movie coming out that they were promoting. Right. Um, you know, Fast and Furious 10 <laughs> or whatever they're yeah. on. That was that was a big draw. They had another one with um I, I don't remember the context of the commercial, but it was uh P. Diddy producing in the studio and a bunch oh, of nineties artists coming on and you know doing a parody of the song that they became famous for. It was like it, yeah. it felt like nostalgia was a big theme of this uh, this slate of commercials, but it just didn't really land anywhere for me personally. Yeah, it sucked. It, I mean, those, yeah, those really fell flat. And mm-hmm. then there was one too. It was about well, the one you know, going talking about um, movie trailers. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw the one for the Flash. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to see that when that comes out because you know, I don't know how big of a comic book fan you are comic book movies but i'm a huge dc guy and obviously they're about ready to reset that whole universe anyway and i'm like oh maybe this might be the the way to reset everything and get that whole franchise on track because it looked like a really good trailer and uh, did, did, did you see it i don't want to spoil after it i'm probably not going to see the movie but uh yeah, this shows you how little I know about comic books. I used to enjoy the movies at one point, but I, I think after about like 2014 or 15, I just stopped watching them. Um, I look to my buddy to my right who enjoys those movies more or less. Yeah. And I ask him, you know, like, what is being fast? Uh, what is what is being super fast as a superpower really going to do for you as a superhero? 
I mean, I, I, he told me that he can run, you know, so fast that he rips through the time portal. He can time travel. I'm like, you know, that's all well and good, but really what, what's his major power? You know, it's like Superman has super strength, you know, the green lantern, you know, manifest energy. I didn't really see what the, the flash's superpower was aside from being really fast, but he explained to me that he can move so fast that he can create a tornado if he runs in a circle or if he runs at you really fast, you know, he's like a ton of bricks. So I guess that made sense to me after that, but I was kind of like, you know, it feels like a superpower you'd want to have if you want to run away from conflict. Right. Right. <laughs> so, well, the trailer for that movie, the flash trailer, Michael Keaton's in the movie. Okay. And he's playing, he's playing Batman now, what, almost 45 year, I mean, no, 35, I don't know, a long way from when mm -hmm. he played in 89, but there in the trailer, you got the flash going, you're, and, and Michael Keaton repeats the line from the first movie, I'm Batman. It just, I'm like, Ooh, this, this might actually be good. So we'll see. DC, um, which is kind of going to roll into my next subject here as we're talking about football. Um, mm -hmm. But DC, as we know, has kind of fallen flat with. Uh, well, actually, but before we get to that, can I just talk about the uh, game real quick? Yeah, no, no, no. I was just going to say they, they've fallen flat with Black Adam, but that's we'll talk about that in a bit. But let's talk about the game. And yeah, I just realized um, I never gave you my thoughts on the game. So I, I did think it was an entertaining game. Uh, oh, know, obviously, yeah. there was, was a good uh, game. It to me was very reminiscent of the uh, Patriots Eagles Super Bowl from 2017. You yeah, know, one of those situations where the offense just moved the ball at will, and it did feel like, you know, there was basically two plays, three plays that came down to deciding the difference. Obviously, Jalen Hurts' fumble, you know, giving a tie uh, right. to the Chiefs, and then, um, uh, what was the? I can't remember his name. The uh, punt return. That set up the last Chiefs touchdown. Yeah, yeah, and then, the Chiefs. And, yeah, and then obviously that uh, penalty that essentially iced the game in Kansas City's favor. But right. I, I, I did think it was an entertaining game. I'm not going to go so far as to say that it was you know one of the best Super Bowls I've ever seen or that it was epic. I think the fact that we didn't have that dramatic ending with you know Jalen Hurts trying to drive the team down the field in the last 90 seconds to at least tie it, but possibly even win it, kind of ruined yeah. it. Um, and not only that, but like I'm someone who typically I, I would much prefer to see a 28-24 game, yeah, you know, than something where both teams are you know getting up in the 30s because I, I do enjoy when defenses are able to make some you know a few big plays throughout the game, and I, I think it adds a little bit to the drama when you don't really suspect or know for certain that the teams are going to be able to move the ball up and down the field at will. You know, it's like right. I, I think that I think the possessions kind of are a little more valuable when you're going up, going up against a defense that can, you know, turn the ball over or at least, you know, force a few three and outs in a rows or a few punts yeah. in a row. And I, I kind of feel like that drama was a little absent, but just because of it that was, fact. yeah, it was, I mean, there were some, obviously there were some good, great defensive plays and mm -hmm. turnovers that led to scores that, you know, obviously could have, it was very, it was very much an even game between both teams. Either 100%. team could have win, but it boiled down to who had the ball at the end. Mm. And, you know, when you put the ball in Mahomes' hands at towards the end of the game, it's kind of like that, you know, that way back when, and you're too young to remember this, but anytime Joe Montana had the ball last, like, oh, yeah, we left too much time on the clock. And, of course, right. Montana, as Montana always did, even back when he played for Notre Dame. Uh, and that just shows you how old I am. Um, I've seen I've seen that Cotton Bowl game, actually, against yeah. Houston. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, it was pretty improbable what he did. And 
Yeah, I, I think that's obviously the you know the benchmark for what a legendary quarterback is. You know, when the time is right for you to come and give your team a victory, whether you're from behind or whether the game's tied, and you're automatic. Right. And Mahomes was automatic. I mean, I think I uh, saw the stat that he only missed, he only had one incompletion in the second half, and he didn't have his, his numbers weren't gaudy by any means. But no. well, he didn't. They didn't need to be. They didn't need no. to be. And you know what? I'm a Mahomes. I'm not a Chiefs fan. In fact, mm -hmm. I I I despise you know, the chiefs and, uh, I, but their fan base is the third most annoying fan base in the NFL Packers mm. and Cowboys are, are, are one and two. Um, wow. and as somebody who grew up in Chicago, um, you know, obviously anytime the Packers lose, we, we, we believe that an angel gets its wings. So, <laughs> so well, there's but, quite, a few, quite a few angels this year. <laughs> uh, huh. Uh, huh. Um, but I had Mahomes on my fantasy football team, my office fantasy football team, and I had AJ Brown mm -hmm. with the Eagles. So I cruised to an office victory this year, right? You know, right after I retired. So, I mean, I know that Mahomes, you give the guy, you give Mahomes the ball, magic's just going to happen. And it just, that's that, which, you know, I mean, it's a whole nother, you know, Chicago Bear fans still go mm -hmm. nuts because, the Bears could have had Mahomes. Yeah, that's right. They uh, do they draft Fields instead of? Uh, yeah, they traded Mahomes? up and to Fields, and then Mahomes went after. It's like, you know. You yeah, know. and I th I think he's just another example of uh, I guess in some ways how the um, the difference in the college game of the program has diminished so much because you know coming from that Texas Tech air raid style of offense, you know people. You know, question. You know, you may be putting up 500 yards a game, passing the ball 400 yards, but you know, you, can you really play our style of football and do it? You know, the way that we have typically done it for however many years now. Right. Um, you know, he he came in against the Chargers. I think the last game of 2017, whenever their Alex Smith was yeah. sat down for uh, you know, just so he didn't get injured when they had a playoff game the next week, and he just tore it up and. I mean, I can remember being in Atlanta whenever uh, I first moved there. I went to the Steeler bar that I ended up going to for a few years. It was my second time there. And Mahomes comes in and throws like six touchdowns. And people like, you know, thought, you know, he's going up against the Steeler defense. They always do well against, you know, right. young players. And he just absolutely carved them apart. And, and watching that, I was like, man, this guy really is a, a sensational story so far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is. I mean, yeah. It's nice to see that, but when you're playing against them, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah you, you, you know, you know the story is pretty much written. But when Mahomes started coming at, remember that ankle tackle, mm -hmm. and he oh, was yeah. limping off like, ooh, I mean, I thought the but, Super Bowl was ruined at that point. I did too. I'm like, oh, but, but you know, then the flip side is you got Jalen Hurts, which is a hell, of, he's a hell of a story. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, and so I can remember. I, I remember yeah. whenever he was uh, in college being benched. In the national right. championship game, I remember watching that, uh, seeing him on the sideline with his helmet, and then they had made the announcement. I don't, I don't know who the sideline reporter was, but she had said that uh, they were going with Tua, and I, you know, I was like, you know, did did he get hurt or not? And it didn't seem like it. You know, he still had his helmet on. Uh, I guess just what's the same. Saban thought that Tua had something to move the ball and against Georgia, um, and yeah, that that that's something that can really you know, knock a guy off course, right? You know, psychologically, you're like, you just got benched in front of however many million people that were watching the game. Yeah. You really didn't do anything to lose your job. You know, the Alabama was undefeated that year. He was having, you know, a pretty decent season from what I remember. But, you know, yeah. 
persevere. And then, you know, now, you know, he's proven that he can compete with anybody in the league. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's one of the elite quarterbacks. I mean, at least, I mean, he had the best record pretty, I think the chiefs had the, who had the best record at the end of the season? Was it the chiefs or the Eagles? They were tied. They were tied. So they both finished uh, 14 wins and three losses in the regular season. Yeah. So you lead a team to the best record in the end, one of the best records in the NFL, you make it to the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and the loss is not, I mean, he didn't, he didn't do anything to lose that game. They just ran out of time. Right. I mean, I mean, he's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to see him back. I mean, um, next year's well, yeah, fantasy like- football draft, he'll go number one or two, I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, easily. And yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of like the analogy to the Super Bowl that the Eagles won a few years ago. Yeah, you know, it's like when you have these offensive shootouts, more or yeah. less it comes down to you know just one or two plays on defense or on special teams that you know kind of make up the difference. And that was exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. It but it was but it was a good game. But it was it was a yeah. good game. I mean, it wasn't um you know, I mean, I grew up in a time when all, most Super Bowls were blowouts. So I mean, you know, yeah, nowadays. Yeah, I was explaining that to my roommate last night where there was a, a few years where it just wasn't really enjoyable to watch. You just had the Broncos getting blown out a couple times, the uh, Bills, the Chargers. Bills, the Char. I mean, I could, you know, I mean, starting with the first Super Bowl I saw, which was Super Bowl eleven. I mean, the, the Oakland Raiders blew out the, the Vikings. The next year, the Cowboys blew out the, the Broncos. Mm. You know, Super Bowl thirteen to me is still the best Super Bowl ever. But then again, that was a 35 to 31 game. Mm-hmm. And I was 12 years old at the time. And for many years, that was the best Super Bowl out there. That, I mean, just how bad the other Super Bowls were. And then it, till you got to Super Bowl 25 and that's when things started to turn around, but it was slow, but yeah, nowadays, at least the Super Bowl, we go into it thinking, well, this should be a competitive game. But yeah, years and years before it was, it was, it was a snore. Yeah, I think the the only real blowout I've seen in my lifetime was uh, when Seattle destroyed Manning in the Broncos. Oh, yeah, yeah, that that was that was pretty unbearable to watch. And well, uh, in that game, in that game, when that snap went bad over yeah, Manning's yeah. head, like yeah. yeah, that's the game right there. This this is not going to go well. For, and it sure as shit, it did not go well for the Broncos. Yeah, and, and it was a shame too because you know you have one team that was, you know, the Legion of Boom. It was you know regarded as you know the best new defense in the league, and went on eventually become sort of like the defense of the decade. And then you had this record-setting offense. Yeah, and I think that I think that was when Manning threw like fifty-five touchdowns to break Brady's fifty touchdown record, and he actually and he sat one game too, which was pretty remarkable. But um. Yeah, that, that didn't really kind of come to fruition the way that we had all hoped to see the best, you know, one of the best offenses in history versus, you know, a defense that had come into its own. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, fortunately, a few years later, we got the flip side with the Broncos. Their defense comes in and just was unstoppable in Super Bowl 50 playing against Cam and the Broncos defense just completely grounded the, the Panthers. And, you know, you had um, Peyton Manning just kind of playing. I mean, all he, all he had to do was manage the game, just not make any mistakes. And, yeah. you know, that was, you know, so, um, but yeah, no, this, yeah. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how things progress. I mean, where's the Super Bowl being played at next year? Do you know off the top of your head? Vegas. Okay. 
which I'm sure Pete Rosell is rolling around in his grave right now. Oh man, that's well, and you know that kind of goes into probably what want to talk about just kind of where the football is heading to and Mm -hmm. you know gambling obviously is a huge factor in um with sports nowadays but it is funny now that i'm thinking about it talking about vegas um this year i mean the ads were out there for FanDuel and all the gambling you know but not as much as in years past did you notice that at all the only FanDuel commercial that i remember seeing was uh the gronk Okay. Which I, which I didn't really follow what that was leading up into it. So to me, it, right. just, it just looked like shit from the beginning. But um, yeah, I, I guess I, now that you mentioned it, didn't see too many commercials. I mean, there was DraftKings and um, what was the other one? FanDuel. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I saw one of each, but. I didn't see any Caesars commercials with, actually are kind of my favorite anyway, because it's got the Mannings and it's got JB Smoove. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, we've got, I mean, we're entering, we're in an era nowadays where, like you said, Pete Rozelle has got to be rolling over his grave with the way gambling is so infiltrated, not just football, but sports in general. Mm-hmm. Now that, I mean, and they were talking, who was I listening to? They were talking, I think it was maybe Dan Patrick I was listening to the other day. And they were talking about, well, how do you keep games from being fixed now? Well, Obviously, these guys get paid so much money. They don't need to. They, I mean, the temptation for these guys. I don't think there's any temptation because they're making so much money mm-hmm. just to play the game itself. I mean, um, but yeah, no, it's you know, I don't know actually where I'm going with this, but well, it's the gambling we- aspect is just it still blows my mind all these after all these years. Well, it's funny you bring that up because recently I've been, uh, you know, flipping through Dan Moldea's book, Interference, about how organized crime infiltrates professional football. And the book was written, published back in the late 80s. So, you know, in a lot of ways, it's dated. Right. And it may not hold up as well. But it it is interesting in some of the things that you look at that could still be a factor, right? Like, obviously, you know, a bookmaker would have a hard time convincing a guy to throw a game, you know, through bribery because you're not going to match his salary, you know? Right. Maybe someone in college, I suspect it would be possible, but even then, I'm not sure that you could really get away with it just because of how, you know, much security is probably around those kids from especially the bigger schools, in which I'm sure, you know, they have like, you know, uh, security personnel to watch these kids and make sure that they're not, you know, getting in trouble in the community mm-hmm. or something. But, you know, one, one aspect that he did bring up uh, when he interviewed, I think it was Warren Welsh, who was one of the former NFL security directors that, you know, if a guy like has a history of drugs, right. And, you know, all of a sudden he gets into a little, a little bit of a bad habit. All a guy has to do if he's in debt to his drug dealer, say, hey, you know, you shave some points and your debt is wiped clean. Wipe clean. So I guess in some ways, it yeah. would have to be more through, uh, you know, extortion means if you're going to get someone to fix the game. But yeah, just through straight bribery, I'm not sure it's possible anymore. Right. And then there's also the other added thing, too, which we didn't even talk about. But we live in a day and age where everything is recorded. Everything's out in the open. Oh, yeah. I mean, we all walk around literally with I mean, we we all walk around with things in our pockets that make us we can report live from anywhere in the world and take yeah. pictures that the quality of is way better than anything anybody could have dreamed about back in the 20th century. So, um, but yeah, no, I just, yeah, we got Vegas next year, but yeah, the whole gambling, I mean, do you see, I mean, and you're much younger than me. So, I mean, um, 
do you see do you foresee in the future gam even more gambling or i mean or have we, do you think we've reached a saturation point where you know as long as it makes the NFL a profit, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's just one of those situations. Like, I, I personally don't bet on sports. I mean, for me, if I bet, it's like I'll go to a casino and play blackjack, or if I'm playing pool, right? Or I'll put you know 20, 20 bucks on a game or something like that. But you know, I personally don't bet on anything that I can't really have some sort of direct involvement in. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I was explaining so, this to my wife the other day. I don't understand why anybody would throw money away. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> because because the reward you could get, right? I mean, it's right. like. Yeah, you could take a loss, but you could also double your double your money, you know. So it's like, you know, for the NFL, if it continues to make them a profit and you know drives people, then yeah, absolutely, it's going to continue to increase. You know, will there ever be a, a tipping point? Probably not. I mean, I think that obviously with how fantasy is going and prop bets and parlays, I think there's a lot of intrigue right. for people who aren't even sports fan. Which yeah, yeah that, that that's something I think that has really kind of defined Roger Goodell's career is how he's been able to increase the sports appeal to non-football fans you know i mean people i I know people who you know watch maybe you know some game on sunday you know but they're they're not going out of their way to watch it the same way i would but they have a fantasy team and they keep up with it and they set their lineup every week even if they watch the game or not and it's the same thing i guess with sports betting too it's like you may not have any rooting interest in either one of these teams or know who any of the players are but you'll just look at the numbers of who's doing what and you'll place a bet so Right. I think as long as it continues to bring in, you know, non-fans to the game, yeah, then yeah, absolutely, it's going to get even bigger. Yeah, and um, you know, with the sport itself, so you know, we've got now that the Super Bowl is over, but we're uh, we definitely got more football coming up this uh, mm-hmm. the rest of this year. So we're entering into, I mean, this is this coming Sunday, the XFL kicks off. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you think? Uh, I mean, this is the XFL. This is obviously version 3.0, but yeah. what do you think? I mean, do you, I don't know. I'm just going to, I'll, I'll let you tell me what you think. And I'll, I'll tell you what I think in terms of where I think spring football is, is going. And, and just from my experiences as a kid watching the other leagues growing up. Well, Orlando, where I live is actually getting a team. So I'm going to follow them. And actually go to some of the games at the Orlando Guardians. Um, aside from that, I'm not really sure. I think there's eight teams total. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess it's hard to be, you know, overly optimistic that it's going to perform well. You know, obviously, you know, back in 2001, that collapsed for a multitude of reasons. Um, and, yeah, that was also a much different point in American culture where, you know, we still had – we didn't have any streaming. The internet didn't really play that big of a factor in people's um, entertainment value. You know, so it's just more of a utensil than it was, you know, a lifestyle brand or choice, I guess you could say. Right. So you didn't really have to worry about streaming. You had cable, obviously, that, you know, would maybe add some competition. But, you know, the three networks reign supreme still. Um, and, you know, they tried something out whenever they thought they could maybe find a new audience. And, you know, uh, again, there's a lot that went into it that kind of led to that collapse. But, you know, 20 years later, they try it again in a more saturated media environment. So yeah, I guess there's maybe you're never going to get a totally huge fan base. Like maybe you would have, you know, a few years ago when you try to experiment with it, but. Right. Did I, you? I, go I'm trying to think, did you interview the author of the long bomb on your show? Yeah. Brett Forrest. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which go ahead. I didn't mean, I just, 
just wanted to interject that in there. That's a great interview you did with him. Oh, thank you. Yeah, he was uh, he was interesting to talk to just because of how long ago the book was written. I mean, I think the book right. was published in 2002 and I spoke to him 20 years later. And yeah. given how, you know, you know, the the drive is still there to try to find some sort of alternative football league, I thought it was a relevant conversation. And I haven't spoken to him since I did that interview, but I'm, I know he said that they were looking to do an audiobook version and uh, release a paperback version of the book by the time this new league comes out. So I wonder if there's any update on that. But I, I think, you know, in that conversation, it just highlights that people will go for football as long as it's good football, you know, and right. I, I don't really recall watching too much of the um, XFL in the right before COVID. I paid a little more attention to the AAF because there was an Atlanta team and that I went right. to a couple of their games. So for me, I paid a little more attention, but just seeing how, you know, both of those leagues ended up collapsing, you know, like I said, it's hard to have any sense of optimism, but yeah, you know, I mean, the USFL is back for, you know, round two, which I you know was kind of skeptical if that was actually going to happen. So, you know, may, maybe, and from what I understand, the USFL is not even kicking off until like April or something right. like that. So their seasons don't even overlap. There yeah. Is, so yeah, maybe, I mean, well, maybe, maybe they, people will have a natural intrigue. You know, I, yeah. I I suspect that maybe the first couple weeks or maybe you know the couple weeks following week one are going to suffer a little bit just because I think there is a little right. bit of uh, football fatigue. But um, yeah, if the product is good enough, maybe people will tune in. But that is a big if. And I hope, I mean, I hope so. I mean, I, I'm very critical. Anybody who knows, follows me on social media knows I'm very critical, especially the XFL and the rock mm -hmm. and all the faith put in when I ask people and I do apologize on your end. Can you hear the, the construction going on on my end? No. Okay, good. Cause I have a whole ton of construction. So thank God software is able to filter all it, all, all the noise, the jackhammers in the back out. Um, but going back to what I said, you know, on social media, you know, I'm very critical of the XFL, not so much of the USFL, because I kind of get how the USFL is trying to market their league by, OK, we're going to test this out in front of a TV audience and go from there. Mm -hmm. Whereas the XFL, it's like, boom. I mean, it's it, to me, it's like, OK, we're going to be like the old AFL. We're going to start in cities where they don't have to. And this is what we're going to do. And so. You know, you had several examples of, of leagues that have failed just in the recent past. You had the AAF, which failed spectacularly. Um, obviously, you had the XFL. Mm. And also, too, the Arena Football League went away. I mean, you've had all these other leagues, these spring leagues kind of either fizzle away, flop. But the one thing that you, you, know, you, you kind of touched upon it, when it came to the football, football was actually pretty good. AAF football was quality was good. The XFL 2.0 was good, but it didn't stick around long enough. You know, obviously the pandemic, you know, forced it to close. But then you had the XFL back in 2001 and the football net just completely sucked. I mean, it was it was like watching practice squads. Just it was just horrible football. But there was a lot of things they actually got right, too, with Vince McMahon and how he. I mean, Sky, we have Skycam because of the XFL, the original yeah, there, XFL. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of innovations that, you know, were yeah. drawn from it. Like, I, I, I never watched that. Uh, I ever saw a documentary about this was the XFL. It's really um, good. It's definitely it, worth your time, man. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely <laughs> – it's definitely been on my list for a while. But, 
Yeah, to, to your point, I mean, to be honest, most of the games I did watch from that season, because before Brett came on the show, I wanted to go back and watch those yeah. games and kind of put myself in that mindset. Uh, but most of the games I did watch were either the uh, LA Extreme or the Las Vegas Outlaws because Brett had followed that team specifically right. throughout the season. Um, but something that you think is uh, interesting is that you said the um, Arena Football League last, like it was something that people had forgotten about. I don't think it's any coincidence that that league had actually stood the test of time for however many years. And I've said this before, and obviously we have a lot of crossover in our audience. So I apologize if people are hearing me say this again, but when I watch another football league, I don't want to watch a carbon copy of the NFL. You know, if the, right. if the product is really that good, fine. But yeah. if the product was going to be that good, they'd be playing in the NFL. Right. For me, right. if you right. really want to get my attention, I'll watch, you know, a league that has bizarre rule changes you know, multiple men in motion. You can only, you know, you can have unlimited forward passes behind the line. Anybody behind the line of scrimmage can catch a pass. I'll watch that all day. And I don't care if I'm yeah. the only one who's watching it. You know, I think a reason why something like, you know, the arena league did well is because we know this isn't, you know, NFL football, but that's what makes it right. quirky. And, and going back to what I said about the arena football league, they were around mm-hmm. for a long time, but their business model, but those teams came and went, came and went, came and went. Mm-hmm. So many ways, it kind of felt, even though the league was around for a long time, it always felt like every year it was a new league because you just had different teams coming and going. Mm. There was no stability with the franchises other than, say, with the Arizona Rattlers. Mm. I mean, the Arizona Rattlers and the Tampa Bay Storm were around for a long time. Orlando Predators were around for a long time. But no real stability. None of the teams that when the, when the league finally did fold, none of those leagues were any of the original teams. So to me, it just kind of like, it felt like the AFL kind of felt like when I was in Iraq, mm-hmm. um, somebody said, well, we've been here in Iraq seven years. And somebody said what I worked on when I was as an as a intel, intelligence advisor, mm-hmm. uh, army officer made the comment. No, we've been here one year for seven years. So you had turnover every year, every year, every year. So to me, while the AFL was around, the the Ameri- uh, the Arena Football League was around many, many years, it just, each year, it just felt like a different league because so many teams came and went. Um, but going back to what you were saying, but with these leagues, though, I mean, the product on the field, especially let's talk about the, the product that was on the field in the last, say, 10, 10 years. Good product on the field, AAF the XFL last year, the USFL had good product, but to me where it's always come down to it's, it's on the business end of these leagues that they completely fall flat. And going back to what you said about the original XFL, um, that business, that just, everybody got paid, but Vince McMahon pulled the plug because it wasn't going to make him any money. Well, it, it seems to me that, out. It seems to me that the original XFL was more of a marketing problem than it was a financial problem. Right. Or it eventually translated into being a financial problem, but people just didn't know what they were exactly tuning in for. You know, were they tuning in to watch serious football? Uh, were they turning in to watch, you know, a football version of WWE? No one really knew exactly like how to quite market it. You know, when you when you right. get Jesse Ventura ready to fight the Chicago coach on the on the field after they lost, you know, you, you're kind yeah. of looking at it. You're like, is this stage? Is it serious? Like no one, no one really knew. And I think for a lot of the players and the coaches, they wanted 
you know, football the way they had always known it in the NFL or in college. And then all of a sudden where they get all these cameras really intrusive in people's faces and player introductions and the showmanship of it and, you know, the, the sex appeal of it all. You know, I, I think there was you know, a clear divide between what the, um, you know, what NBC wanted, what McMahon wanted. And I think in many cases, NBC and, you know, McMahon didn't really understand each other, what each other wanted for the products. And I think that there was never a coherent, you know, definition or vision for what the league should be. And ultimately they didn't really know how to market it. And people said, well, you know, this is all well and good, but the product isn't even that good for me to stick with long, stick long enough to figure this out. So they just abandoned yeah. it. Yeah. That, but I mean, his book, and the fact that they continue to play their games on Sunday on Saturday night too, which is like the least uh, view is the worst night for television, right? To, you know, for viewership, I, that was not a good decision either. Yeah, yeah, and I think these new leagues have taken those lessons mm-hmm. and learned. But the AAF, obviously, you know they they learned a lot of lessons, but they just ran out of money. Yeah. You know, Charlie, and you would think of all the people that would fail at this, how could Charlie Ebersol have failed at the AAF seeing, but it's just, it's, it's, that's a book that I'm waiting to read on the AAF. Just, I mean, there is a documentary on it. If you've seen it. Um, no, I, I heard the interview Tim Hamlin did with uh, the director. I don't remember the name of it though. Yeah. Tim did a great job. I and mean, that was a great interview, but just, I would love to read a book that gets into the nitty gritty much like, you know, Mark Speck's books about, you know, the World Football League, um, get into the get into WFL. And, you know, there's like you said, there's a great, you know, the, uh, the long bomb. I mean, that gets yeah. into so much detail and you walk away from that book going, OK, yeah, now it makes sense. And even mm-hmm. with, with Vince McMahon trying to buy his way into the CFL. Oh, that's that's happening again. No, but that was back then. Oh, yeah, yeah, remember yeah, okay. in that book. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of how that started. I think the XFL, that's how the XFL came to being when, you know, they wouldn't, you know, he, the, X, he couldn't the, get into CFL. the NFL or the CFL. Right. Well, what was it? What was his, uh, I don't think he was just trying to get a team. Wasn't he trying to buy the league outright? He wanted to buy the whole league. He said, if, well, how about yeah. the league? I think if I remember correctly, it started with the Argos, but then yeah. he's like, well, I'll buy the whole league. And, you know, the CFL governor said, you know, go pound sand. You're not buying our team. You're not going to buy our teams. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, well, that's the consistent thread through all these stories, right? It's about the, uh, the rejects that, you know, maybe don't have quite enough money or they just can't break into the, the big leagues with, you know, the NFL for some reason. So they try to set out on their own. I right. guess, you know, obviously going back to the arena, Jim Forrester or Jim Forrest yeah. was probably the, the exception to the rule because, you know, he was more of, you know, someone who came up in the NFL, you know, corporate side than he was, Right, um, you know, as an owner, but I I think it's when, when it comes to like the, a book about the AAF though I I don't know if there's too much there that you can really go into because they never even finished a full season. I mean, from right. what I remember, they only got halfway. Is that correct? Do you remember? They got I think up until like week eight or maybe week seven. Yeah, it was you know I mean or in fact you know talking about Orlando I mean that the team in Orlando was. I think ultimately determined to have won the the championship because I think Steve Spurrier went out and bought everybody rinks or something. I think that was <laughs> uh, like that. well. They had a team in uh, Tampa, I think. No, no, they had it. was the Orlando Apollos. That's right. Okay, so the XFL was uh, had Tampa, right? Yeah, which that yeah. that team name is now out in Vegas. The Vipers. Which, 
Yeah, which they're going to be playing. And this gets into my, you know, I'm just curious to see what the first week one in the XFL looks like, because last I heard, I think the Vipers are playing at the minor league ballpark, which, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I'm all for, I love, I've only been, I love what the aesthetics of football and baseball parks, but when, you know, you're starting off playing in a baseball park and a major metropolitan area and a minor league ballpark, that's just not a good, I don't, I'm just curious how that's going to look on, on camera. So, um, and how fans are going to take to it going, okay, are we going to watch minor league football? I mean, people go out, I mean, minor, nobody, nobody puts minor league baseball down. So I don't understand why anybody would put minor league football down, but you know, in this country, in America, well, not in this country, because I'm in Japan, but in, in the States, if it's not NFL, very few people are going to pay attention. If it's not NFL or college football, major college football, very few people are going to tune in. Well, last night, one of the people who was over at our apartment had actually asked about, like, you guys down to go see some Guardian games. And, you know, he, he, he's someone who's, uh, you know, I don't think he has a team loyalty, but, you know, he loves fantasy. He loves, you know, right. watching the game just as, you know, just a, a third party viewer, I guess you could say. Okay. There's, you know, no one, he pretty much looks out for his fantasy team, so to speak. Okay. And, you know, but just, yeah, enjoys, yeah. but just, yeah. just enjoys watching the game, right? Well, he actually brought it up. So for me, I thought that was kind of surprising because okay. you know, if anybody was going to bring that up, it, it would be me because, you know, I'm yeah. just fascinated more so than he would be. But, you know, I, I think the potential is there, you know, for something to come to fruition, if nothing else, just for the novelty and the spectacle of it. But right. Yeah. Yeah. That's only going to last you a few weeks. You know, even for me, you know, watching the, uh, I was actually at a Atlanta Hawks game, whatever the, um, uh, I can't remember what the name of the Atlanta team was the legends, I think um, that for the AAF. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I was checking my phone throughout the, the Hawks game, you know, interested to see, you know, what was happening. Right. And everything like that, but then you know, progressively, you just start tuning in a little less, less, and less. Yeah. And then you know, I've I went to one game where they played at Georgia State Stadium, um, and even then, you just see kind of the crowd had just diminished from what it looked to me on television. You know, the right. first night watching it. Um. So yeah, there's definitely going to be some trial and error, and you know, where, where the USFL really has that their strength is that they're owned by Fox. You know, right. they, they 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 can afford. You know, they have people who are so in touch with the product because they own the product. So they know how to market it. They know how to have it as a good operations. And I think in a lot of ways, they're looking at this, like what it is. And it's a developmental league, you know Mm -hmm. I mean? They not only for the players, but also for the broadcasters, you know I mean? They have Drew Brees, uh, I think coming over from NBC to do some games. I mean, they have some of their own talent that are going to, you know, do some sideline reporting as sort of a a stepping stone. So when they want to get to the NFL or if, if that ever happens, but I think there's a certain self-awareness with the USFL and I didn't really watch too much of the league last year, but I I think there is a self-awareness that if I had to guess right now without seeing the XFL or without seeing any XFL games so far, they probably have a little bit more of an advantage in the long run. Yeah. I mean, it's because, you know, football obviously is, we saw with fan control football, they tried to turn and we, that's right. I completely forgot about fan control football turning into kind of a studio product. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, I think we've reached a point now too, with kind of what you said about the USFL. It's owned by Fox, and you know, I mean, football is very much a TV product. So, um, you know, I, 
yeah, I mean, it's it just it's amazing just how much even when we think about it too with football, how much how much football is dependent upon television because you know we had the NFL during the pandemic didn't have any fans in the stand. They still made money. The NFL still made money, but then on the flip side, you had the CFL would shut down because they weren't going to make any money by not, you know, they, they, right. by not having asses in the seat. So well, um, let, well, let me ask you a, a question, because obviously we kind of live in a more fragmented media environment. You know, do you think that because the Arena League supposedly is coming back out in 2024, I believe. Right. I, I mean, do you do you think that there's going to be an audience? you know, a sizable audience for them. And I mean, could something like that even survive today? Because obviously we've had like the indoor football league and some other uh, leagues that are based indoors and the similar concepts. Like, do, do you think it would have the same draw as it did when it first came out or, you know, in its heyday in the early 2000s? I, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. And here's, I mean, if you put it in the major markets, mm-hmm. I mean, if you put a team back in Chicago, if you put, if you bring the rush back and put them in all state stadium, or put them at Wintrust Arena. You put them in a in a major. You need to have teams that are in the major markets. And you know, I haven't looked at the lineup in terms of where they're going with these teams. But unless you have the major markets, there's a lot of teams in the Midwest. Yeah, um, Quad City, the Quad City. Uh, I think that maybe I think their team maybe maybe yeah, bringing, I don't know. I was getting... Yeah, but you know, the NFL was a regional league until it finally put itself in the major cities. So until I think you plant the flag in major cities and draw crowds, because do you remember when the NFL had the arena football league? No, I did not. That actually was the thing they owned it. Yes, it was. And actually when I, wa- I mean, that was a good product, the way the NFL, I think the NFL learned at the NFL, NBC, Sorry, NBC. Oh, NBC with yeah, the okay. Arena Football yeah, yeah. League. Um, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So NBC had the Arena Football League. This was after the XFL thing, mm-hmm. and it was great product. I mean, yeah. it was. I mean, those games you would tune into a Rush game at Allstate, and you would see Allstate Arena packed, mm-hmm. and the games were good. And I don't know really what the business decisions were behind that, why that didn't work out, but there was that moment that I thought. The arena football, this spring football might work if we keep it indoors. Because the other factor that comes into into play with spring football is weather. Because, you know, you start off right after the Super Bowl, which the XFL is doing, but the XFL is not playing. Re- I mean, it's really a southern, southern southwestern league. I mean, so you've got a team in St. Louis, but that's in a dome. Do you, do you do you think that works against the league then if it's pretty much just mild mild climate? Yeah, yeah. I think it I think it does. I mean, you don't have you don't have teams in your major markets. I mean, you don't even have a team in LA this year with the XFL. But do, but when you look at how many NFL teams are now getting stadiums, which essentially is reducing the element the elements into the game. I mean, do, do you think people even care about that anymore? I think if you want to, you know, I know for me I will not go see a Bears game when I lived when I, you know, right before mm-hmm. I left Chicago. Um, yeah, you know, talking about my brother went and saw a Bears game in December against mm-hmm. the Vikings. And it was a nice day, but it was a rare nice day. But he was even talking, he's like, I don't know if I'm one of I don't know what I was thinking when I bought these tickets. <laughs> it's like, but for the 
you know. Wait, so, so are you saying that if they had like cold, frigid weather, that if they reduced that, that people would actually be inclined to watch it more or go to the games? No, more? go to the games. Go to the, not so much watch it more, but go oh. to the games. And right. you know, back when the XFL played, mm-hmm. they had teams in cold weather cities. I would have to look at the numbers to see how attendance was, but I don't think attendance was great, especially in places like Chicago and New York. I mean, yeah. it was, they didn't fill the stadium up, but, um, but the other thing too, with the XFL, the first version, you, the way they did their camera stuff, um, you couldn't tell how many people were in those stands. And especially by the time it got to the championship game, they might as well have been playing in a studio for all the crowd shots they showed. Cause there was just no way to tell if anybody right. was there. Um, so I think, I know my, my thing is if, unless you put a league into major markets, whether it be, you know, the USFL, the XFL, I think you're always going to be considered kind of rinky dink for lack of a better term, rinky dink. And I really, I don't mean that as a put down, but when most, uh, you know, the vast majority of football fans in the United States are NFL fans. Yeah, they're gonna look down. It's like yeah, I'm not gonna want. I mean, it's just it's not. There's there's um I don't want to say um an elitist attitude towards football that I think you and I have seen as fans of whether it be the CFL, the alternative leagues going. Oh, oh, I didn't know they were coming. You know, there's you know everybody's once football ends like this after yesterday, people get on with their lives. Now we've got baseball coming up. People turned basketball. Hockey is going to be in full swing and all those sports have their own issues too, when it comes to attendance and ratings and that. So. Well, I think, I mean, the thing about like those three sports is none of them really have a national following that the NFL has. So it's like in certain parts of the country, hockey will be much more of a draw for that audience. Right. You know, so some big markets will be all over baseball. Like, I mean, I, whenever I went to a Hawks game, like it was fine, but I mean, it's definitely more of a Bravestown from when I was living in Atlanta. So it's like, so right. be very much into the, the baseball aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's going to be a, a size. A, there's going to be something that can be taken with the audience. Yeah. It's just about whether you're going to be able to have enough to justify the cost of production and the cost of operations, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, it's because, it, and then another thing too, it's like, you know, you and I have you know, both talked about, you know, watching a lot of old games on YouTube. And, uh-huh. you know, the, the, those, uh, there, there, there are some channels that will get, you know, just thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of uh, views for a video, you know, whether it's a 1985 yeah. game, 1995, you know, even earlier going back to the 70s. I mean, those, those videos do get a lot of views. And you kind of yeah. wonder, you know, do people really want to, you know, watch a bunch of guys who may or may not make a roster, or would they rather see a lot of guys from their childhood, guys like me who never saw these people play in real time? Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of a it, it can be kind of a crapshoot to figure out like the psychology of like what would make a person, um, you know, forego doing something like that or watching maybe one of the other three big sports that they have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe somewhat of an interest in to watch, yeah. you know, another another football league. Well, again, it goes on what you just said about YouTube. So we've become so fragmented. I mean, the 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 TV landscape I grew up with, and even with what you grew up in, is is changed so much mm. in just the last ten years. We are very fragmented. We, um, you know, there are still traditional broadcasters, 
but the vast, I mean, I live in Japan, so, you know, um, I don't have, I mean, I watch my TV through the internet and it's all on demand and, um, you've got these leagues. I mean, the, the, um, the NFL is going with YouTube TV next year for the direct TV, uh, you know, for, um, the NFL, um, Sunday ticket, which just kind of go off topic here. I, being here in Japan, the one thing I was worried about when I got here was how do I watch my football? Mm-hmm. So the NFL has an international game pass. It's basically the same game pass that they have in the States with the exception for the same price. You can watch all the games live here, all the games live. You know how much it costs? No. hundred bucks a year. Oh, That's wow. It. And I mean, the NFL is figured out how to print money. And well, print- you get that through the NFL app, right? Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. I think over here, it's, uh, I think, I think it comes out to being a hundred bucks too, but obviously you can get all the games internationally, whereas we are limited to a right. red zone or for the local market games. Yeah. Well, and then if you want to see all, if you want to have your choice of be able to see any game you want, mm-hmm. you've got to pay. Cause this is, this was part of me moving over here. I was trying to, I ended up signing for the Sunday ticket because mm. I wasn't sure when I was going to be leaving. Like, hell, I'm going to have to, cause I got to watch my Cardinals, which looking back at it was a giant waste of money anyway, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, you know, the NFL charges Americans who live in the United States, uh, an ungodly amount of money. Whereas I'm over here. It's like, it cost me one fourth the price to see everything you know, it's much, much, much cheaper. Um, but going back to what I was saying about streaming, everything is streamed now. So the XFL, they're going to be on traditional network, but they're also going to ESPN plus. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the way we watch T the way we watch TV now is so much different. Um, and just, it's, you know, I mean, you've got pay services and everything. So, um, well, something yeah. that's also becoming really popular, I'm not sure. Well, I guess it's good. So obviously um, what they call like fast channels, which is free ad-supported television. Right. Yeah, that, that's something like Pluto TV, if you've ever yeah. heard of that. Or like, yeah. um, you know, a lot of like, uh, if you buy a Vizio television set, you'll have channels already available for you to watch. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of these channels that are available are owned by big media companies, right? So let's say right. if... Uh, Pluto TVs actually, I just learned the other day, Pluto TVs owned by CB, um, Paramount, Paramount, which, yeah. yeah, yeah, which owns CBS. So it's like, you know, who's to say if CBS wants to make a run at the uh, Arena League, right? You know, maybe right. they can put their games on Pluto TV and you know, mm-hmm. make, make money, you know, via ad revenue. You know, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And plus, you know, you're, you're getting a lot more people that obviously with more prices increasing with streaming services. And they find that they have increasingly less to watch, either just because there's information overload and too many choices for them to make, or maybe they just don't want to have that many services. And you know, just like you know, a, a traditional um, cable format, but not have to pay the bill, which you can get with like a Pluto TV, a Vizio yeah. TV, uh, Tubi TV is the same way. So I yeah. think it's definitely. I think I think that's also another major option for like a lot of the networks. I mean, the NFL has an NFL channel on Pluto TV, which I'm sure you've seen, where yeah. they will air you know games from you know ten or fifteen years ago. Oh so yeah, it's possible, yeah. You know, so, you know, so it's possible they could look at that as another you know potential avenue as well. Yeah, it just it's it's just amazing how much the landscape has changed. I mean, mm-hmm. um, 
and the frustrating part for me is being over here a lot of these uh you know you can't espn plus um is only available in the u.s but i have a vpn and so i've been playing with vpns to try to get around that and it's a challenge so it'll be yeah. interesting next week um and i'm not i don't think i'm gonna be able to watch the game because i'm gonna be on a, i'm gonna be taking a trip down here to one of the navy bases um but when i get back to be able to try to figure out how to watch the xfl via the vpn because with the smart devices the smart devices are really smart and sometimes they let you know the world you know exactly where you are versus mm, where you want to be seen so right using a vpn overseas to watch sports is tricky but it can be done um but yeah the whole the whole aspect of of just streaming and everything i i'm just at some point though it just you know the mount the nfl makes all their money from tv i mean that's the other part that people don't quite understand without tv the nfl nobody i mean you know be a, i think it would be much like it was back in the 50s it would still be kind of a small time sport so but it's just it's to me when i watch everything and i look at the, just i'm still amazed by everything um yeah I, mean, with, I, I i work in television as my uh, full time occupation so it's definitely something that you know, I, I get a lot of updates on and have to keep track of so to speak so yeah um, yeah it's it definitely went from being just you know a pretty simple you know you have three networks to whenever cable came out you had a lot of these niche channels that still would draw a big audience i mean you know realistically if you were had 49 channels let's say you're, you're still talking about you know limited space in the pre-internet era for you know content and entertainment right but now yeah it just feels like there's so much in the void that it's hard to really kind of figure out how you can get that mass audience now that you know guys like you know or you know cbs nbc i mean there, there's always like a brand identity that's been around that's always going to draw right a big audience and especially right. since you have live live sports i mean out of the hundred top most watched programs i think 97 were you know live football you know, pro sports yeah i mean it's yeah it's it, all football you look at the you know top other than mash that yeah. final episode of mash i mean it's pretty much all football well, i'm just talking 2022 oh yeah 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 i mean it's it, as long as you have like some sort of sports especially football i mean you're almost you know mm -hmm. you're just positioning yourself for uh you know to succeed right yeah and um and you know when it when it comes to you know the nfl let's just move on just talking about football globally then um being here in japan it's amazing you know when i got here i mean this is a baseball country mm -hmm. and soccer is you know when i got here right when the the world cup was being played and so there was a big grounds you know every channel i turned on was talking about the world cup and the world cup and you know i do the podcast with john gunning and bj Beatty over gridiron japan and we're mm -hmm. we cover you know foot, american football gridiron football here in japan and you know i'm able to see all the games live via streaming via streaming online with mm -hmm. the x league um and also via youtube because a lot of the colleges play and a lot of the other other leagues put their stuff on youtube um but when i you know sitting there one day it's right after we got here going man there's nothing going on in this country on i mean sundays but the x league was playing it's just like man football could be so big here because to me football is the ultimate team sport and being in japan it's all about it's all about the group it's all about 
you know, the goal is, you know, everybody's a team player, whether they want to be or not, or, you know, they're expected to be a team player, whether they, they want to be or not. Um, do you see as we're moving on, cause we got the NFL talking about expansion. Do you see, where do you see the, the game growing internationally? Well, if the game last year in Germany was any indication, I think there's a big demand, at least in multiple parts of Europe. Um, I, I, I've read at various points that arena football actually has a little bit of an appeal over in um, China, which I know is a market that the NFL would love to get its hands on after seeing the success it had with basketball. Which, right. you know, obviously it's a much more translatable game. But again, you know, arena football is not it is a good introduction into football. I mean, whenever I spoke with uh, Chuck Klosterman a couple of weeks ago, we had a discussion about this towards the end of the episode where, you know, in my opinion, I think something like six-man football would be a really great game to introduce the rest of the world to because, you know, six-man football, you still have the core concepts of the game. You, know, you still keep yeah. the identity of it, um, albeit just on a smaller scale. And I think that right. would be great to, like, introduce to other countries, right? Like, say – yeah, you, in this version of the sport, everybody is eligible. But like, once you begin to learn nuances, you start incorporating the full game, and you realize not everybody is eligible. Then you expand on the rule books. I think something like that that would be a little more simpler, because from from what I you know understand, anytime I talk about this subject, what a lot of people internationally maybe don't see the appeal is because it's just they don't really know what's going on, right? It's like they right. have meetings in between plays and they just look at the sport and think that there's just so much complexity to it that it's almost need needlessly complex. Yeah. So maybe it's something like six or eight man football or some variations of arena football would be, you know, advantageous to try to expand the game and markets that are definitely a lot more foreign to us. I mean, Germany London, obviously. I mean, even going back to NFL Europe with, you know, the uh, Amsterdam Admirals, mm. there's a lot of countries that are, you know, exposed to the game in its full form that obviously yeah. are drawn to it. But you know, maybe in smaller countries or maybe more uh, Eastern countries, maybe six man arena, that would be a better game to introduce to, to them if it not already. Yeah. Which interesting uh, enough, actually, I saw a, uh, from that uh, college football Reddit page, they actually had posted a six-man football game in Japan. They did. Yeah, yeah. I'll share the link with you. Actually, I was, okay. I, was, I, was I did not know that. I'll I'll have to add that. Was it and was it out? Was it an outdoor game or indoor game? Outdoor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I and was, well, uh, go 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 ahead. I'm sorry. I, I don't know if it was a college game, X League game. I, I, I don't. Oh, I don't definitely wasn't. I'm sure it wasn't an X League game, but probably a college. I mean, who knows? Yeah. No. Send me the link. I'll. Uh, yeah. I definitely, definitely like to take a look at that. Um, you know, talking about Japan. So, you know, I got here. So right after one of the first things I did when I got here was, um, try to figure out who in my family knew, knows anything about football. When I'm talking about my family, my family here in Japan, uh, as it turns out, my brother-in-law knows football. Yeah. And so we got, uh, you know, it's, and I hadn't seen him in years. I mean, we got here, I hadn't seen my in-laws in 10 years. So, you know, in the settling in process and using the smartphones to to talk to each other and figure out. It's like, yeah, I know about he goes, Joe Montana? And yeah. he said, 76 ers I go, no, 49ers. So um as I uh as things kind of progressed, I figured out, hey, my my brother in law knows about American football, knows about Joe Montana and the 49ers. 
because he played video games. I was just and that's ask, how. He, I, yeah, that's I how he learned. I was just about to ask: Was that through Nintendo? Because I know Montana had his own game, and I'm sure yeah. he probably you know released a lot of games over there. Yeah, and uh, so we got to talking, and he's like, "Yeah," and I go, "Well, all my video games, my you know, because I at this time all my stuff was on a boat being shipped over, and I'm like, well." When all my when my PS4, my PS3, and my Sega gets here, we'll play football. So, um, and all that arrived safely and everything. And it's like I'm all set up here. And him and I, that it was it was kind of cool. Um, after it arrived, we got down and we played uh, Tech Mobile on the Sega. Nice. Um, but also, like the month beforehand, him, me, and my wife. Now my wife has watched football with me. Has never quite understood the game. Um, the three of us went to the Cochine Bowl, which is the college mm-hmm. football national championship game. Um, and so it was it was that moment where um, when we went there, played in old baseball, it's played in, in, in the Japanese version of Wrigley Field. And I say I try to use Wrigley Field more than Fenway Park, but it's the oldest stadium and oldest baseball stadium professionally in Japan. And, you know, Babe Ruth played there. So um, so we got to see the you know, the game being played there on the turf. Um, I want to say, you know, I probably 18,000 people were there at the game, mm-hmm. which for me, I was actually pretty impressed. I know they've had much bigger crowds in the past. Um, but, you know, that moment you're like, okay, well, people, you know, football ha- does have a global appeal. So it'd be cool to, to, you know, it would be cool to see Japan really, really embrace the sport and make it its own. And it, it's possible, but, um you know well, there's just I, I, you know, I think I think the biggest thing that would need to happen is that there needs to be a Japanese player that finds some sort of role in the National Football League you know it's not right. gonna be yeah I'd be willing to bet my bottom dollar that you're never gonna find someone that's gonna be a superstar in the league but I, I think you and I had talked about this earlier like in my opinion if you could have a Japanese player that had a sort of Danny Woodhead role that uh-huh. you had with the Patriots you know sort of a scat back um, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I think it's possible to have someone like that come over from Japan to play in a role like that, you know, probably someone undrafted, smaller college sort of a deal. You know, he's in a system where he's not a, a feature guy, but, you know, he could come in for a lot of, you know, big plays and make right. his mark that way. Right. Uh, I, I think something like that would have to happen for the, uh, you know, the league to really kick off, so to speak in Japan. I, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, we've got Toshiki Sato, who is going to be, you know, he was on the Argonauts. Mm. He was the, he was their backup punter and kicker, but he signed down with Calgary Stampeders mm. and he's heading up, up there. So hopefully fingers crossed, he's going to yeah. be the full-time guy up there w- with this season. But yeah, I agree with you, you, you know, until, okay. So way back in the day when Hideo Nomo pitched for the Dodgers, that mm. was the, he was the breakthrough star. That led to a Chiro, which now has led to God. Every team seeming having you know um, somebody from Japan on their team, except the White Sox. Um, and I, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's I think until that player comes, yeah. And there are quality players here in Japan. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I mean, I and mean, watching some of the the college games the past couple of years, I mean, they've really just have a very yeah. precise understanding of the game. They do. And, um, you know, the college, the college championship game was a great game, especially the first half, second half, mm-hmm. not so much, 
But, you know, you watch these kids play here, and these kids know the game. It's not sloppy football. High school national championship. The Christmas Bowl. The Christmas Bowl, yeah. That, yeah. I mean, that was a good game. That was a good game. Um, and you got to watch the Dream Bowl, obviously. So I was hoping to get your thoughts on that in terms of where you think the Japanese talent stacks up against uh, that from the States. Well, I, I think if you're ever explaining – you know, football in Japan to someone you can ask, you know, like, so how, how good are they? You know I mean? You can, you can say, you know, they're probably as good as, you know, the middle of the road players in D and one double a, right. I mean, maybe, you know, they could be considered top line of division one double a in yeah. some regards. I mean, you know, they had that, it was a really close game and they had a one and truthfully, they almost had opportunity when the guy in the fourth quarter uh, muffed the punt mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, they ended up recovering, but, and scoring a touchdown through there, but I mean, I think it just kind of highlights how, you know, and a lot, a lot of those games, and I, it's escaping me how long that, you know, Dream Bowl has been played. But obviously, there have been all star games that have been played between Japan's, you know, college right. all stars and, you know, some variation of, you know, the US, you know, West Coast teams or something like that. And, you know, sometimes they were competitive. Sometimes they could be, you know, blowouts. It just kind of depends on, mm-hmm. you know, the preparation and, you know, who, how sometimes the U.S., I guess, can treat it more like a Pro Bowl, you know, so to speak, and, you know, rotate players in as opposed right. to you know, playing the stars the whole way. But, you know, I, I think it shows, you know, how good the product is over there. And to be honest, you know, going what we were talking about earlier, I think one way to really boost the sports exposure over there would be for something like ESPN Plus or, you know, one of the smaller sports streaming services like Stadium to stream that game. Yeah, you know, and uh, there's going to be a little bit of a, a language barrier in terms of pronouncing, you know, right. the names. No doubt, there's obviously extensive research, but you know, if you if you know, say if we want to do if ESPN Plus were to do do it next year, right? Like, hey, we have the rights to the 2023 or the 2024 Dream Bowl, right? Yeah, you know, it gives you time to kind of follow the players and prepare, and you know, follow the Ivy League too. I mean, that would be a great, in my opinion, because they already have the Ivy League football rights. You know, so mm-hmm. why, why why not throw that in there? It's essentially an Ivy League All Star game going up against you know the All Stars of another country. So why not do it? Yeah, it. Um, you know, they played it at the Olympic Stadium, and unfortunately here, um, it was not live on TV. It was not. It was not yeah. on one of the one of the over the air channels. No, it was pretty much just the. Uh, I got I got it, on YouTube. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was on YouTube um i've looked for it since i have not seen it i don't know if it's disappeared or the link to the game but i know it's on espn plus now uh oh this uh dream bowl yeah oh interesting okay i didn't know that yeah i don't know i I looked for it the other day to see if it was on and um yeah it's gone now so i'll have to i'll have to research a little bit and find out where uh where that link is if it's still on youtube did did you I, i can send you the link i actually just watched a little bit of it earlier um did you uh watch it through espn plus uh yeah yeah what, i watched was... actually i watched it on espn plus um and yeah yeah i mean it was what was the production quality like do they have play-by-play announcers it was and good reporters yeah, have... um it was good i'm you know i actually i had it on mute in the background so i kind of watched it so okay. i did i wasn't listening to the announcers Mm-hmm. um but it was japanese from what i remember it was japanese announcers okay yeah i think for someone like that to kick off here if they had like you know english commentators there even like yeah. a radio call would be good and right. something else i think would also help is um you mentioned you know uh, baseball wasn't there a movie with tom Selleck? oh yeah mr baseball 
Yeah, I feel like something like that would actually do a lot of good to increase the sport over there too. You know, say if you have, you know, just take take any story of a guy who you know went who played football over here and went to the X League. You know, just sort of like oh a, yeah, you know, yeah. a season in the life of them. Yeah, yeah fish out of water story. Oh, 100 percent. I think that would definitely increase the appeal. You know, because people see a movie like that on like Netflix or something. I think they would definitely you know be yeah. intrigued by that that idea. Yeah. Well, and, you know, to kind of, I mean, there's, you know, BJ Beattie is, is always the example I give. He came over, you know, played football at Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he came over here and played and, and made not only made a career over here, but also made a life here too. Um, and he's enjoyed it and he's turned it into a coaching career. And we always talk about, there's just so much potential here and there's so much potential in a lot of other countries too, that I'm just, I would say probably in the next 10 years, we're going to see the NFL really start to push the international. I mean, they're talking about having a division over in Europe. I'm still trying to figure out the logistics on that, but there's a way to make that work. If you're going to have a European division, um, then that European division doesn't play teams from the West coast. You just, you know, you factor that in. Yeah. I would much rather see, uh, you know, a much more global approach. Yeah. It's right. Instead of just limiting to European teams, you know, maybe even if it's just Japan and, you know, maybe it's too premature to say China or, you know, it's another yeah. Asian country to, you know, get involved in. But you know, if they can include them, I think they would do a lot to kind of, you know, expose the game and really show what the, the game is all about. Yeah. Have you read the book um, by Keegan Dresso called Gridiron Cup 1982? No. It's available on Amazon. Um, it's it's it doesn't cost a whole lot, but I interviewed him um, last what's, week what's to talk called? about it. It's called Gridiron Cup 1982, and it's basically an alternate universe story about it's 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 a great what if story. Um, what if Burt Bell had been successful in convincing uh, in 1948? the London Olympic committee to have basically a, a football demonstration. And hmm. from there it, 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 and then Joseph Stalin, you know, and I'm not giving away anything, but basically Joseph Stalin decides, Hey, we're going to compete with the Americans in football. And from there history diverges. And in terms of, so football, gridiron football ultimately becomes the world sport, Interesting. not soccer. So, um, yeah, I interviewed him last week. It's a great book. It is a great book. So if you ever get it, and it's on, it, you know, if you have a- a- Kindle Unlimited, um, you can read it for free. Was this, uh, was that something that Burt Bell had actually uh, tried to lobby? That's a good question. And that's something I, I, I want to ask Upton, Upton Bell, um, mm-hmm. because I don't think Upton has read this book. Um, I could see his father doing it. And maybe, maybe his, you know, again, you know, you and I both know Upton. Um, I am sure Upton and his father had a discussion about how to make the game global. So that's a conversation I, I want to have with Upton in terms of, you know, obviously he's, 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 he's living history right there um, to tell us, you know, if anybody knows it would be, <laughs> it would be Upton. Uh, it would be, it would be Upton to ask, Hey, what was your father thinking way back then? You know, yeah. what would what would he have thought about where we're at now and, and the way forward? Because it is a great premise, um, you know, but the other 
part of it is, you know, we're talking about football world cup. They haven't had a football world cup in years. It's been on hold. Yeah. What was it? Uh, probably 2004. That was the last time. Yeah. So, I mean, so I'm just curious, you know, I don't think football is going to expand a whole lot or get as popular until the NFL decides, okay, this is where we're going to plant the flag now. Yeah, any, any football, any gridiron football organization that's going to succeed in the world essentially has to have like some sort of uh, association with the NFL. Right. Because, right? you know, e- e- even the CFL to a certain degree, I think, kind of gets a lot of draw just by, you know, guys that I think potentially could, you know, go on to that next step. Yeah. Per se. And, and may- maybe that's actually, you know, kind of de- diminished a little bit because I don't. For some reason, I haven't really heard a lot about, you know, a lot of guys who played in the CFL that went to, uh, you know, the NFL as much as I once did. You know, it seemed right. like for a while that was like kind of like an unofficial feeder system, whereas now yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I really hear that all that much about the CFL being, you know, a development step for guys. Yeah, who you, don't, on the- you, you don't hear a whole lot about I know Nathan Rourke, who played for the BC Lions, my favorite team, is, mm-hmm. went to is signed with Jacksonville to be a backup. Mm hmm. But it's not like the old days. I mean, you had, you know, back in the old days, you had Joe Theismann saying, mm-hmm. you know, he got drafted by the Dolphins, but he was going to have to play behind Bob Greasy. And, you know, Don Strzok was also there. And so the he saw the opportunity. And also, too, the money was so much different. You know, the money the, back then, the money, the salaries were very comparable, what yeah. you can make in, in the CFL versus the NFL. But nowadays, obviously, that that's completely changed. But, yeah, I mean. You don't hear, you don't hear a whole lot about CFL players in the NFL, but they're there. But it's they're in more in supporting roles. Um, Nathan Rourke right now, just off the top of my head, is is the one going into next season that you're probably going to hear the most about. Bo Levi Mitchell was thinking about going south, but you know at the time I think he was coming off the a Grey Cup went up in Calgary, and mm-hmm. he decided to stay north. As it turns out, now he's playing, going to be playing in Hamilton. But, you know, the CFL, and the CFL has its own issues struggling. When I was up in Canada in November, I was talking to a Capitol policeman. My wife and I were in Ottawa for a couple of days. And I mentioned the CFL, and he's like, oh, there was, it was very lukewarm. Like, oh, yeah, no, I watch NFL. You know, so, but then I met other people. It's like, oh, yeah, huge Red Blacks fan. Um, but yeah. the CFL has its own struggles just getting Canadians to watch their game. Um, yeah. And the NFL is so popular up there. So, um, well, listen, we yeah. are about, we have gone quite a ways here. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a good, uh, good, good conversation, man. Touch on a, a lot of good topics. Yeah. Anything, anything we're missing in this first episode here? Cause I mean, we're kind of going on round and round and, uh, you know, this is the beta episode to try to figure it all out. But, you know, I mean, I like being able to you, sit uh, down here. Why, why don't you tell the audience uh, where the name comes from? Football America comes from an NFL films um, special documenting. Basically documenting football being played in America outside the NFL. It's a uh, it's available on YouTube. And uh, that's kind of the inspiration just to talk about football. Kind of like outside the lines, more or less. Um, hmm. You know, we always talking about what's going on between the between the uh, between the lines. But to me, the fascinating part about football is what happens outside the lines, whether it be in pop culture, like what you cover on your podcast, 
or on the business end. And nobody really talks a whole lot about the business side of it. Um, you've got Tim Hamlin, his great show, Good Seats Still Available, talks about it with old leagues and everything. So, but I like to have these conversations with, you know, my friends when we're not on camera, we're not hitting the record, just talking about where football is and, you know, what we think is going to happen particularly when it comes to these new leagues popping up, because I know we both, we both have strong opinions. Um, so we'll see the XFL is going to be starting here this weekend. So I'm sure the next time, uh, the next time uh, I record an episode, be a lot more to talk about, especially observations as to what we're seeing on the field with the XFL. So can you tell everybody where to find your podcast at? Yeah, definitely. I'm on any platform that you get your podcast, whether it's Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter at Football Odyssey, where it's O-D-Y in the letter C. Uh, also on Instagram, and I can send you the information if you want to. Yeah. The links for yeah. people to go to. But yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, this is a really grateful that you had me on. A lot of, a lot of good topics we explored today. And I would be a I would I would be a mess if I didn't mention your website because your website I mean your podcast is awesome I mean your podcast is one of my favorites, Appreciate but your it. website is just as awesome because the way you've laid out your your website gives it that old school nineteen seventies library feel which is just <laughs> awesome and I'm like oh this is you know I just I don't know if anybody who has not been to the website go to the website. Um, Aaron's got some great stuff, not only with the podcast, but you've also got articles, especially the article that I always, one of the first ones I read was your one on uh, football in Japan. Yeah. And I later adapted that into uh, the podcast format. Um, appreciate the love for the website. You know, the, the primitive look of it is more so because I'm not a good web designer. So I try to keep it as uh, simple to, to use as possible. Um, but yeah, I, I've kind of gotten away from the website, I, I guess, since I've started doing podcasting. I don't post as many articles as I once did on the blog, but it's definitely something I want to get back right. to, at least on a monthly basis. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I try to group it by certain topics. You know, the the whole reason for doing it was to try to touch on you know, more esoteric topics in football that maybe don't get a lot of coverage in national, me <clears throat> national media. Yeah. You know, so sometimes you'll see, you know, a, topics about minor league teams yeah i actually pertain to this conversation i think a year ago i made an uh wrote an article about the history of spring football going back to you know its roots in uh the early 1970s i think it was 1971 with the trans transatlantic football league okay so if anybody's interested in that that would be a good starting point if you were interested in that aspect of this conversation and have you taken my because i haven't looked at your website recently but have you take have you taken my advice and like you've got you did a uh, podcast about Weeb Eubank and yeah that, that was a YouTube uh, documentary video that I made that I okay. put on the, uh, the podcast feed too yeah did you add the link from archive.org about his book because um, that's one of those books that's out of print and the only place you can read that book is through archive.org you can check you can check the book out and read it oh really okay yeah yeah, yeah I'll yeah. definitely I'll, I'll definitely post a link to that yeah, yeah. it's Am I that that's a book every time I read it, definitely climbs up the ladder. And I, I put it in my, in my top three football books of all time. I absolutely yeah, love that, that book. That that's one of those books whereas when I was moving, because I had mm -hmm. to figure out what I was taking with me and what I was not taking with me. Um and I I found that book on archive.org and I'm like, 
Okay, I got to give the physical one. I gave that one to Randy Snow at the World of Football podcast. Um, mm. But that was it was it was heartbreaking having to part with a lot of my football books because I had some good, you know, the hard copies, just the ones you're like, ah. Oh. Um, yeah. But there were some that I took with me. The one um, fun while it lasted about uh, the um, the World Football League. Okay. And um, I haven't, the I haven't one, read the, that one. The one dollar late. That's uh, all the. But again, it goes back to what I was saying. All these. I'm like, oh my god, archive.org has it. So, um, yeah. and I'm I don't know anybody at archive.org, but you know, if I've got a if I've got to plug um, a website for no reason other than for the joy I get just by going there and finding. Oh, hey, I remember this book as a kid. Oh, I can check it out. Nice. Yeah. I'm gonna do that. Yeah. So. Anyway, well, I, hey, with that, I just got done uh, flipping through. They call it a game. Uh, Bernard, Bernie Parrish's book. Yes. Sort of like the compliment to David Megacy's book, so, so to speak. You know, it wasn't bad. I also, yeah. uh, I think you're you're a fan of Michael Oriard, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, got hey, several of his books on there. Yeah. I love End of Autumn, his uh, first book that he, uh, he, he wrote an article about uh, one of his teammates who ended up actually murdering his wife and then killing himself his name was a uh, jim tire i believe um and he, he had wrote a book about you know sort of like the fall of a football hero oh man and people were interested in his story about what it was like to be sort of like a middle of the road you still good yep i'm still there you broke up right there you're talking about the middle of and then they just then you stopped right there yeah, like uh, he, he was um, a middle of the road player. You know, he had started for the Chiefs for a few years and then departed eventually. But it, it's a good. It, it's definitely one of the most eloquently written books about about the game. You know, from childhood yeah. and his observations about college and pro. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's always interesting. I mean, his his books are great, but just to even hear him talk when he's they're interviewing him on. Um, if you saw that, I think he was in. Was he in the documentary? Uh, Full color football. I think they interviewed him for that. He wasn't in that one. I well, he actually might have been. I gotta rewatch yeah. that. I gotta rewatch that series. I know for a fact he was in the hundred and fifty anniversary for okay. um college football for yeah. ESPN that's what I. That that's what series. I'm. That's what I'm thinking of. But I mean, he's got much like. Have you ever seen the baseball document? Uh, Ken Burns baseball. A little bit here and there. I've never watched the full thing from beginning to end. I think it's nine episodes. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, they did one on the SEC, but then there was that whole college 150th anniversary and all those episodes and the SEC docu- eight-part documentary um, all reminded me of the Ken Burns baseball documentary. It was just, They were just so well done. So, well, listen, everybody, um, with all that said, um, Hey, thank you very much for listening. If you've if you hung if you've hung around to the end here, I appreciate it. Um, you can find me at CFL America on Twitter. And hey, feel free to reach out to me and give me some constructive criticism. Or you can bash me too. I don't. It's it's okay if you think I'm completely way off base with any of my opinions. I appreciate that feedback too. Uh, I don't mind trolls because I uh, <laughs> be careful. What I, be careful. At least I know listening. they're. I know, but at least I know they're listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The bigger the audience, the better, no matter who it is. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So everybody, hey, thank you very much for listening to this initial beta version, beta episode of Football America, and hope to talk to you very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.